It's already been scientifically proven that the root of humanity is in the motherland. We know the first oldest skeleton found in East Africa. We know her scientifically as Lucy, but she has an indigenous name, Dean Kinesh. And that is really the best way to explain how with time, as people were moving out of Africa, either forcibly or through their own will, it's almost as if an attempted erasure of the fact that every field really has derived from the motherland. And so if we keep that in our mind, that there's been a cycle of erasure because of many reasons, uh, because if everybody knew, especially historically oppressed people knew how much power their ancestors had, people wouldn't want that. So there are a lot of reasons why a lot of knowledge about Africa is suppressed or stolen. But luckily, we are in an era of reclaiming. Personally, there's something in our own DNA as well. Not only Black people, but all humans, since technically all humans are descendants of Africa that allows for this openness to remember. So that is the remembrance journey. Welcome to Cosmic Rx Radio, a podcast that gives you real-life tools of spiritual empowerment and pure hype. I'm your host and intuitive guide, Maddie Murphy. I'll be serving up your weekly energy readings, cosmic boss interviews, and astro inspiration. Are you ready to love yourself more, manifest your dream life, and own your magic? Let's jump in. Hello, my cosmic baddies. Today on the podcast, it's Valentine's Day is coming up. In honor of that, I have one of my cosmic crushes. On the pod today, I am so excited, so honored to have on Dose Villa, who is a West African astrologer, artist, and the author of the newly released magnificent book, Signs and Skymates. This was actually a popular Cosmic Battery request, so I know a lot of you are like doing a little happy dance right now. And uh, Dose Villa has been practicing astrology since she was 10 years old and views it as a tool for empowerment, awareness, and healing. And you know we love that. She shares astrological knowledge with all Zodiac signs on her platform and app, Know the Zodiac. After graduating with her master's degree in English education from Columbia in 2017, no big deal, Dose Villa has been working as an entrepreneur and creative. She lives in West Africa with her children and runs a travel agency, Magic and Melanin, which provides humans of African descent with homegoing experiences to the motherland. Her EP of Mantras and Meditations, Dream with Dosa Villa, offers soulful and healing affirmations to help raise our collective vibration. And she is someone I am fangirling over for so many reasons, but mostly because I think she brings so much intellect, depth, culture, and integrity to this space of astrological wisdom. I love what she's doing for not only self-healing, but also collective healing. So please meet your new spiritual bestie. Hi, how are we doing? Welcome. Hey, Cosmic Rx and hey, Maddie. Thank you so much for having me and for that beautiful introduction. I'm grateful to be here. Mm, It's so lovely. Okay, first things first, since obviously Everyone who listens to this is either cosmically curious or just a full-blown astro expert. So would you mind sharing your big three for everyone? Absolutely. I am a Scorpio sun, Scorpio rising, and Virgo moon. 
I also like to add in my Venus and Sagittarius because it's my main fire placement and I really feel connected to it. Okay. But before we got on the podcast, I'm like, okay, I'm going to ask her for a big three. And then I'll probably ask her for her Venus too, because we're going to be talking about like values and love and, and compatibility. But for some reason, I just feel I've listened to you on a few podcasts and I'm reading your book and I feel your Venus and Sag so much. So- yeah, I also have a North Node in Sag. So I love that. It's like a little conjunction between them. Oh. It's like, oh, so cute. And then Signs and Skymates is a Sag, December 6th. Oh my gosh, you're right. Okay, see, like the Venus and Sag is strong in this one. We feel it. That is so cool. So there's so many things that I'm excited to talk with you about today because you are a true multi-passionate, multi-potentialite. <laughs> you have so much going on. I like that. <laughs> I'm really excited to talk about your book and I'm really excited to talk about the work you're doing and really like reclaiming the West African and African roots of astrology. But before we get into that, why don't you tell people a little bit about like how you got here. You're finishing your Saturn return right now. And when I saw that, I was like, you have accomplished, I'm sorry, a lot Saturn return. So would you mind telling people about like yeah, your journey to astrology and now becoming this really cool, again, like multi-hyphenate entrepreneur healer channel? Yes, I was reflecting on Saturn too. And whew, wow. <laughs> Oh my gosh. So I actually thank my parents because my name, Dosivia, is connected to my father's name. His name is Dosevi. And in our language, in Mina, it means he who was born after twins. His two older brothers are identical twins. And so when my mom and dad were thinking of names for me, one of their friends was like, oh, Dosivia would be nice. And they did that. But my grandmother was like, we're going to change up the spelling a little to make it unique and add an accent and capitalize the V. And so my family naturally is a very spiritual family and my parents were into astrology. And so my birth story was connected to astrology. And since I was born by C-section, they basically chose my due date based on what they thought would be most favorable, not necessarily based on all my birth chart placements, but because my dad's older sister, my dad is a Taurus and his older sister is a Scorpio. So they have a love hate relationship and she was born October 24th. And so basically they slightly shifted my birthday to October 23rd, thinking maybe that could lead me to having a a slightly different personality. As much as they loved my aunt, they wanted me to have like this unique personality. I am not sure now that I'm an astrologer, I would want to tell them, you know, not everyone born October 24th has the exact same personality, but it was cute to see them so cosmically interested. And in the end, I love my chart and I love that my moon is in Virgo. And if I was born October 24th, it would have been in Libra, which would not have been an issue, but my Virgo moon has helped. So it's all connected to my birth story and to my parents. (laughs) Okay. Shout out to cosmically aware parents. I always think about that now. Like everyone listening to this podcast who's raising children or birthing children or, or, you know, in charge of just guiding humans. I'm like, how cool that this generation doesn't have a lot more people who are aware of that from the beginnings. I'm like, wow, I think to know your own birth chart or even know your parents or your children's is empowering, healing, offers so many tools. So that's so cool. And you are definitely like validation and a testament to like, look what happens when you raise someone with some astrological awareness, because everything you've done is incredible. And shout out to your Virgo moon, 
your book is so good. We'll get into that later. But like I said, before we recorded this, I could just tell before I even saw your chart. I'm like, <laughs> this is such a clear, helpful guide to such a big subject. So shout out to your parents for picking that day. <laughs> Thank you. And to give a little bit of insight of my actual journey as an astrologer, I was always into writing and narrative studies. I studied narrative studies at USC. And it was at USC that I kind of started showing my nerdy astrology side to people because all of my life, well, since I was like 10 and could be doing research and reading books, I was studying astrology. But it was when I was 18 and a freshman at USC that my friends told me I should get a Twitter. And I started Scorpio Mystique and started sharing facts about my sign. And it grew into a great community. And then I started to know the Zodiac. So it was really my passionate, nerdy astro self that kept following her heart and communities grew from it. And now we're here. And now we're here. Keep following those nerdy passions. I mean, this will be coming out <laughs> on the tail end of Aquarius season. And it really is. It's like, wave that flag high at the thing that you think is awkward or quirky. Wave it high. <laughs> That's how you find your people. That's how you make an impact. That's how you really embody that visionary because you were really visionary in that, doing that well ahead of the curve of you know, now there's like so much talk about it. And we're still, I think, in the baby stages of the impact of astrology in our culture. But that's cool. And again, shout out to friends who push us to do that. <laughs> so you have an app. Like, how did you build that? What was like, again, I'm just, I'm curious. I'm going to be, I love these questions because recently I've been thinking about my life as a biopic and it's hilarious. So my midheaven is in Leo. <laughs> so since my midheaven is in Leo, like, I look at this journey of my app as a biopic and it'll be hilarious the day it becomes one. And I'm grateful for the Leo man who was at a, I'll say some aspects of the Leo man who was at a networking conference that I went to in New York a few years after graduating from Columbia. And it was my first, like I had been asked to speak there and do a panel on astrology and he happened to stop by and listen, and he was a tech developer, and he asked me, have you ever considered developing an app? So one part of me is grateful for that, but the relationship, due to reasons that will not be named, did not end up being a very long-term one, but grateful that my midheaven and his energy led to the first rendition of the KTZ app coming out in October 2019, October 21st, 2019. I then was able to find a new development team who is the one who helped me update it to the version it is now. And that was in 2020. And we offer access to our daily horoscopes, weekly horoscopes, the monthly horoscopes, as well as in-depth transit forecasts, um, mantras and meditations. I have this vision for the KTZ app being a beautiful hub for cosmic lovers who know that not only are they part of the universe, but they are the universe and mm. they need to be aligned with the cycles of the universe and they can embody the energies of their chart, not just study them, but literally embody them. And so I have really exciting visions for how it's going to continue to grow. And as one of the only African and Black woman astrologers with an app on iOS and Android that was completely self-funded, I also want to tap into the expansion energy of Sagittarius and uh, see where it can take me if I dare to accept that my Virgo moon doesn't have to do it all alone. Like, I think other people are going to see the potential of the app. And like, I have very abundant visions for the KTZ app. <laughs> 
I'm holding that in the space for you because it's interesting that you did it. You know, had to do it twice, right? Like South No Gemini. Mm-hmm. Rebirth, Scorpio of it, into your Saturn return 2020 in Aquarius. I'm like, beautiful timing. Pluto in Aquarius. I feel like that is going to go next level. Vision, <laughs> technology. And you have your Jupiter in Libra, right? Yeah. So Yes, I do. In the 11th house. Technology is right there. I'm like, no, I'm excited. 2024, maybe even a little bit of this year. I think that is, it's the time is right. Again, visionary that you're doing that. Well, that's a great segue. Okay, honey, perfect. Like interviewee energy. I'm like, great segue into let's talking about like you being, like you said, well, first of all, congrats on being one of the only, I don't even know. I know. I, I have to fact check. I may be the only, and I don't want to be. So that's why I'm saying one. So hopefully I'll attract right. like opportunities for other people. Cause I don't want to be like, you know, I, I want this to be normalized that uh, African-American woman and Africans. Of all of the astrology apps, of all these, like there should be way more, but yeah, let's talk about your work with that because that was something that really struck me from looking into your personal background. I, I knew know the Zodiac forever, just of like, and I knew all your um like accounts. And then when I went deeper into you, I think it was maybe pre-launch of your book. And I was just more like interested in like, who, who's the person behind this? And, you know, I have the same, I have a brand, Cosmic Art X, but then there's like the person behind the brand. You're like, oh, mm-hmm. like, oh, this is not just like a conglomerate of people making this. This is a person, a visionary. Let's look into her. I was so immediately captivated by your posts and, and the work you do with your travel agency. And then of course, in your book, you really lead it. Well, first of all, I love the opening line of your book. I think the very first line of your book, I wrote it down here. Let me tell you a secret. The universe wants you to feel love. And I was like, there you go. That's just worth the price of admission right there. To read that. <laughs> it opens Thank with you. that. And then you really start talking about this beautiful journey of like remembering the African roots of astrology. So can you tell people a little bit about that? And maybe maybe some things people don't know, or maybe mm-hmm. they might know, but need to hear through your beautiful lens. Thank you. And thank you for that reminder. Like that first sentence also really was one of my favorites of the book. So I really appreciate you sharing that. The African roots of astrology definitely would take a whole like series of podcasts to really dissect. And even in my book, I, I encourage people to explore even more. I give them pathways, but it's so, but the core of what needs to be known is it's already been scientifically proven that the root of humanity is in the motherland. We know the first oldest skeleton found in East Africa, we know her scientifically as Lucy, but she has an indigenous name, Dean Kinesh, which means you are marvelous. And that is really the best way to explain how with time, as people were moving out of Africa, either forcibly or through their own will, it's almost as if an attempted erasure of the fact that every field really has derived from the motherland, mathematics, science, astronomy, and astrology, which were one and the same mm-hmm. before the age of enlightenment. And it hasn't always been widely shared that the Greeks and the Romans came to ancient Egypt, known as Kemet, to learn a lot of what is now viewed as modern science and mathematics and astronomy and astrology, because astronomers like Galileo and Aristotle were also astrologers advising the kings and queens of the time. 
And the fact that even that isn't shared that much about Aristotle and, their, and Galileo shows how much erasure occurred after the Age of Enlightenment because astrology was viewed as a competition to Catholicism, which is a whole other conversation because if we look into the Bible, Catholicism was also inspired by astrology, the 12 disciples, the 12 signs. And there are even old school names that refer to the Zodiac wheel. So it's very in-depth. And so if we keep that in our mind, that there's been a cycle of erasure because of many reasons, uh, because if everybody knew, especially historically oppressed people knew how much power their ancestors had, people wouldn't want that. So there are a lot of reasons why a lot of knowledge about Africa is suppressed or stolen. But luckily, we are in an era of reclaiming. So just as you can see now, a lot of African nations are asking for the British Museum, the Louvre, to give back stolen artifacts. Uh, and there's only just a small percentage that has been given back, but I hope it will continue. Personally, there's something in our own DNA as well. Not only Black people, but all humans, since technically all humans are descendants of Africa, that allows for this openness to remember. So that is the remembrance journey. As I go through that journey myself, through having moved from New York in 2018 to West Africa to live closer to my grandma and to raise my children here, I invite the reader to also go through this remembrance while reminding them that I'm still learning. I particularly come from the Yoruba culture, and that's the descendants of Kemet as well. And so the Yoruba Orishas are deities that they could be viewed as closer to the current planets than what they currently are. So Venus is a representation of the Orisha Oshun, for example, and Mars, which is a Greek and Roman name for the planet, was inspired by the Orisha Ogun. So I help people remember that there were deities and planetary symbolism beyond the Roman and the Greek ones that they're aware of now. Oh, okay. I, first of all, I think I'm going to cry. I'm going to laugh. So many emotions bubbling up while you're talking about that. It's like a celebration and a sadness all at once, but really appreciate how you summed that all up because that could be like not just a yeah, podcast that could be a series, like a, a documentary docu-series. I'm such a nerd for history. And I think when I started realizing all the ways that astrology had been like buried or discredited or demonized by really astronomers, I was like, oh, interesting. And then going deeper into the cultural lens of it all, I just hope that people who follow your work, who read your book, who are doing this work on their own can remember it. I know I have a lot of clients, like especially like women of color who are like, oh, my family thinks this is like the devil's work. And they can see that actually it's the ancient wisdom that's their birthright that gets to empower them and guide them. And it's so beautiful and such a beautiful homecoming. Like I said, I was getting so emotional when you were talking. Thank you. I appreciate you for recognizing it. And that's what I love. That's what the Sagittarius nature of signs and stymates is that it, all cultures can learn. And I also remind people like India has deities as well that can be connected to the Brazil. It's like beyond just Africa, there's ancient knowledge. So beautiful. I don't know if you've seen it, but I'll just put it in here. There's a docu-series called Changing of the Gods. No, Brandon, I haven't seen Pluto, it. Uranus cycles. It came out last year. And it really documents like our history as civilization when we have big like Pluto Uranus moments and it begins opening up with oh. different deities from all different cultures. And, and I appreciated that like as an opening to this docuseries because it's cool. Go check it out. Yeah. But anyway, back to you. So another <laughs> thing, again, why I really admire your work, I really resonate with the way in which you talk about the intersection of astrology 
healing, you know, collective energy, consciousness, the culture. So, you know, for me, sometimes I'll just read from your book again, but the beginning, you're talking about the intentions for your book and the questions you were asking yourself. And you were really talking about like, how can I write this and really look at partnerships, creative, passionate, romantic, professional, like how can I look at strengthening those by looking at myself? How can I look at disrupting dangerous ideologies of mainstream astrology? And I was like, thank you. Because your book is about essentially compatibility. And I like your definition of it. We'll get into, but I think sometimes with reductive or pop or one note astrology, or as you said, like spark notes astrology, compatibility is almost a minefield. Like I almost get like cringy when I start hearing people talk about it because it's so reductive. It's so, it doesn't make sense. So your book is such a beautiful offering into, I think, oh, the way that I view astrology and this concept of compatibility. So I would like to just offer you some time to talk about like maybe the inspiration behind writing the book and a little bit about how people can use this book. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I never was necessarily at the extreme of looking and thinking of one sign and making a strict judgment about them in my head, but I have empathy for humans who did because my younger self would almost do the opposite. It was like, I would see what they would say about Scorpio and Gemini and my longest partner and the father of my children is a Gemini sun, Gemini Mercury and uh, Gemini rising. Um, No, Mercury and Cancer, but Gemini sun, Gemini Mm. Venus and Gemini rising. And so my younger astrological self, super hopeful Venus and Sag self would be like, well, that might be true, but this is working for us. And I I felt like enlightened with the things that were working and I wasn't always facing the things that didn't. So when I had a major Uranus in seventh house moment uh, around the same time that I moved to Africa, Uranus was entering my seventh house completely shaking up everything I thought I knew about relationships and also made me know more about what I really wanted and deserved. And so I ended up, as I said in the book, I call it a conscious uncoupling, but it was much, much messier. And once again, that that would be a whole other (laughs) book because there are a lot of lessons that were learned from that, but uh, it was very difficult and still is a healing thing that we're going through. But that was a catalyst for me because since I had been in a relationship from the age of 18 to 26, it wasn't until 26 that I re-entered the dating world that I discovered dating apps. <laughs> I can't believe people have been on dating apps since they were 18. Like, I was like, what? And that's on Uranus in the seventh house. Wow. Yes. And actually many of my key lovers came from dating apps. It opened up a whole new world. And so I was like, let me be a beginner in the space through coming at compatibility from a beginner's eye while also learning from my past in hindsight. And uh, I had it pulled up me and my, I'll call him lovingly, baby daddy. Um, <laughs> I had it pulled up our composite chart until I'm pretty sure either that near the end before we separated or at, right after. But I know that I had mostly focused on synastry. And so it was all aligning for me to allow this to just be a learning experience. And that's so Venus and Sag of me. And I was like, let me learn from all of this and let astrology, let me face the parts that I didn't want to face before and let me help other people who may learn way earlier than me. And so this can apply to their business astrology. That's been a game changer because I was also taking my time to do composite charts for potential associates. And now that's Mm. changed the game. And so it just opened up the world through like, yay, let me learn from my life and help others 
as well. Do we feel her Venus and Sag or what? Like there's, there's, <laughs> the Venus and Sag is strong in this one. Okay. So amazing. I love the story telling of that. And then to get into the Virgo moon nitty gritty, if someone's listening to this and they're mm. like, what is sin history? What is a composite chart? What are the things and how could people, I guess, begin to, to look into this? Like what are the things they look for or how do they pull it up? Yeah, 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 absolutely. On knowthezodiac.com, on my main page, there's a birth chart calculator. So that's the first step I would tell everyone is to pull up their birth chart, which can be calculated for free. Even outside of KTZ's site, you can Google birth chart calculators. And also on knowthezodiac.com, there's a resource page for people reading Signs and Skymates, where I share my absolute favorite site to do synastry and composite readings that I started using when I was like, 14 years old and it looks super archaic but those are often the best astrology sites like ah, i'm just like they have a whole database and they obviously are passionate and nerdy too because they're like we want you to have this information it's so important for humanity and so i couldn't gatekeep it i'm pretty sure i gatekeeped it for like (laughs) six years and then i was like okay let me help others like i would tell my friends about it but in the book i reference it as well and on the site and that's just the best way to get free composite readings. And it's the ones I actually view as accurate. Like I don't view some of them might be automated and not as accurate, but the one that I listed in the site is very, very accurate as an introduction to what a composite chart is. So composite chart is like taking the median of your chart and someone else's chart. It's as if you create a new chart by taking the placements of your chart, another person's chart, and seeing the midpoints of all those charts. And that creates the energy like that you and that other person give off. So in my example, when I was with a Gemini partner and we combined it with my Scorpio sun, our common sun was in Leo. And then uh, my Virgo moon combined with his Sagittarius moon gave us a Leo moon. So that means the chart of our relationship was a Leo sun and a Scorpio moon. And that explained a lot about why we were viewed as power couple, which I do think in many ways we were and like goals, but then emotionally passion and a lot of depth and things to work out and navigate on the inside of our relationship. So it's eye opening to see what your composite chart is. Even with my mom, it it opened up. I have so much Virgo energy with my mom. So when I can be critical of her and she can be critical of me, I'm like, We literally have a Virgo stellium in our chart, but we have a Libra stellium too. So what do we want to tap into? How can we balance that? So composite charts are like top tier astrological compatibility. It's like a life hack, I would say. And I think a lot of y'all listening may be familiar with synastry charts, which is looking at your chart and looking at someone else's chart and seeing how the different placements interplay. And that's also a very important part of astrological compatibility. And you can see that on the Know the Zodiac. That's great. That's why I wanted to hear it through your lens because that's not the Google definition. Like it's like that, the energy, like what you're creating together, the energy, because it is like relationships have their own energy. Like I am mm-hmm. someone different. I am with my sister that I am with my husband that I am with like, well, again, words, amazing, articulate storytelling. Virgo moon though, keeping it nice and easy to digest. I appreciate that. My Virgo son bows to that. So I'm going to read from your book, compatibility, the definition you put. You said, what exactly is compatibility? And you said, I'd like to describe it as a consistent sensation of feeling seen by someone or something in a way that puts you at ease and allows you to reciprocate such energy. I mean, there's more you go into it, but that is just, again, in terms of like what we're looking for and a great thing to like plug your GPS into, like that feeling, especially the consistent word. (laughs) I was like, 
Yeah. Consistent. That is key. That is a big key part of competitive. Yeah. It's like, okay, like it happens more than once and it's happening often. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Something your, your actual nervous system is used to. It's like, wow. And, and then I love when you go into that metaphysically, there's all kinds of, like you said, there's the professional, the career, music, art, creativity, compatibility, you know, with, I'm sure with mm-hmm. children and family. In terms of the way you approach the book from there, you broke it down by signs. Well, obviously also the name, signs, <laughs> Skymates. So can you tell us like in terms of, again, someone now has the book and they pulled up the chart on like KTZ, what's the first thing that you would have someone want to understand about themselves and understanding this journey of compatibility? Is it like a, a placement in their chart? Is it a planet, an aspect? Yes. So in Yoruba spirituality, we all have an Ori, which is our divine head, which represents our inner knowing. It can be viewed as our intuition as well. And so I recommend whether you're a beginner or advanced to look at your chart and see what speaks to you first. Sometimes an astrologer will say, let's look at your, and I've done this as well. Let's look at your rising sign. And that will allow you to see what your chart ruler is. And that has a very big influence on you. And that would probably be the second thing I would ask you to do. But the first I would say, what does your own chart say to you? What Mm -hmm. comes up for you? And even beginners sometimes will look at it and see that a certain placement either comes up a lot or they'll notice there's not certain signs or certain elements in their chart. They might notice a certain house placement repeats itself a lot. And so that is really often what I think can help you figure out your initial vibration and uh, core inclinations, because I often like the quote that astrology inclines, it does not dictate. Um, I had heard that quote early on. So if you remember the free will aspect of, of yourself, then your chart becomes, even if you have a lot of fixed energy, it can still be a malleable tool that allows you to grow even beyond the stellium, which might be repeating signs that you see. And so I wouldn't want you to look at your chart and be like, if you see a whole bunch of signs that you thought you could never get along with, it's not necessarily a reason for you to have an existential crisis about yourself but rather to get curious about the energies of those signs beyond the stereotypes and valid experiences that you may have associated with that. So number one is let your own instincts get curious about the placements in your chart and what you're called to learn about and what you might even want to push away in your chart. I I love that answer. I love like the intuitive, let it, let it speak to you, let it jump out to you. That was mine when I first started studying like with a teacher of astrology, I was like, where do you yeah. start? Like, what do you recommend as my teacher? And he was actually very cerebral, a lot of Scorpio, but very analytical. And he was like, this is like the one time I say this. He's like, but it's intuition. Like what's jumping out in the chart to you? This book is such a great resource. Everyone has to check it out. Like I have a million highlighted notes in it already. As much as we can with our time, I don't want to be honoring of your time, but is there something you can do like maybe by elements or a quick like sign by sign if someone's listening to this and they're like okay I just want to understand a little bit more about myself in terms of maybe what I need in love or what I what I'm seeing or which I think is also a beautiful resource to listen to people that you love like your partner your families when their sign comes up is there a way for you to give us that in something that's like digestible yes absolutely one of my favorite 
asteroids for getting to know what you really want from love is Juno. And that took me some time myself. I was so into my Venus and Sag (laughs) that I was like, oh, wow, I feel so seen. Yes, I want freedom and travel, but I also can be really loyal when I'm in love and I want to explore. I want an open-minded lover. And I was not at all until after my separation and after actually a period of Venus and Sag exploration and dating and everything, I thought that's what I wanted. I started looking at my Juno and also Mars, and they happen to both be in Cancer in my chart. So I will give, when you've pulled up your chart on the calculator on my homepage, uh, look at where your Juno is and I will give a breakdown of what ideally, since Juno's the asteroid of marriage and partnership, and it's really more about what you need. It's not necessarily what you think you want, but it's what would really nourish your soul romantically. Um, So this is really enlightening for a lot of people who did not know their Juno because it could be very different than what their Venus and Mars placements are. So here we go. This also applies to if you have a lot of this energy in your chart. So if I talk about Juno and Aries and you have a lot of Aries energy in your chart, you'll probably relate to this. Um, So apply that as well. So Juno and Aries, they need partners who are able to not only take the lead, but respect the fact that they are leaders themselves so that they want to both feel supported in their leadership and not that their partner is intimidated by them. But then at the same time, they want to feel like, oh, I don't always have to be this alpha. I can let my partner Mm -hmm. also lead. So it's like that independence, strength and passion is a strong need romantically and in terms of long term partnerships for those who have Juno and Aries. Juno and Taurus, the partnership ideally has been planted with the seed of sustainability. When you think of what a sustainable partnership really feels like, when I think of a tree that started off as a seed and how the journey it takes to grow and also the different ways trees can grow into. So with Juno and Taurus, yes, a desire for security and stability is key. But as we see with Uranus currently in Taurus, being open to surprises, being open to the fact that actually some of the best partnerships don't always have to have the same consistency that you're used to. So since Juno is a sign of extremes, a Taurus is a sign of extremes, Juno and Taurus actually encourages you to seek, if you have that placement, a partner that is able to go to the extremes with you. So that's also another thing, the the highs of your passion and the depths of your sorrow. You seek a partner who's able to traverse Mm. that journey with you. Juno and Gemini, the full acceptance of self, including mm-hmm. the shadow. Gemini is often associated with lighthearted, hard to control, hard to pin down, can be two-faced. But actually, they're one of the most complex signs of the zodiac. And that's actually why I think they get such a bad rap like Scorpios. They're complex in ways that one day you think you can define and the next will completely contradict what you wrote a 500-page page on. They'll just completely contradict everything. And so their ideal partner accepts that about them, doesn't judge them, and encourages that curiosity of who one is and what the relationship Mm -hmm. can grow into. So there is this sense of being able to detach from the need to know and just be open to explore that. And so someone could be a cancer 
who thinks that they need deep, 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 deep emotional vulnerability and commitment for life. And then they're Junos and Gemini, and they're actually going to feel really attractive to people who show them that it's okay to let go of the need to know. So sometimes your Juno placement is in conflict at first with other placements of your chart. But it's as you accept that that's an inherent need in you, that you're actually able to attract the relationships that can best nourish you. Juno in cancer energy, I would say, as I was saying earlier with the sun, being able to be seen without the need for words, like a telepathic type of connection is something that skymates with this placement will feel very, very drawn to. And uh, being able to soften one's boundaries against harm and uh, let in love by believing that it's just a natural way of who we are. So it's a psychological rebirth when it comes to trusting love. So a partner who makes you feel deeply emotionally seen, supported spiritually, who feels like home is what a Juno and Cancer native seeks. And it can feel scary as someone who has this placement to actually attract it if you have other placements that are very protective of you, but it's part of your journey in partnership is to let yourself be mushy-gushy, basically. <laughs> let yourself be mushy-gushy. Just don't fight it and you'll see what happens. Juno and Leo, it's very interesting because Juno and Leo could attract partners who are more apparently yeah. selfish, but that selfishness actually helps them attract more of what they want in life. So the Juno and Leo is attracted to the fact that their partners know what they want in life. But then at the same time, the Juno and Leo will want attention from their partner. They will want to feel like their partner views them as a key part of their solar system. And so that balancing act between just this fire in love, like deep fire on both sides, being drawn to other people's fire and wanting people to recognize your own is going to be essential. So tapping into the water and all the other elements, water, air, and earth in your chart, if you have Juno in Leo, so that the fire isn't the only thing that consumes the part of you that wants to be loved and the part of you that wants to love would be very helpful. But it's a very passionate, passionate, passionate Juno placement. Juno in Virgo seeks intention above all. A lover that lives with intention, that moves with intention, that speaks with intention, and that doesn't speak with intention. So that's the best way to describe that placement. And I would say to Juno and Virgo placements to be more compassionate with themselves first, because they can be very critical of their own selves as partners, thinking that there's something wrong with them. Check, check, check. Yes. Mm hmm. So that's the one thing I would say, especially as a moon in Virgo. It's like, ah, ah, like, let's just. Please, from an outside perspective, you are not as flawed as you have made up in your mind. If anything, you're very loving and giving and you can be less so. So Juno and Virgo can set those boundaries in love and claim to receive more of the love that they naturally give. And Juno in Libra is a very powerful placement because Libra is the sign of harmony and relationships. So it's one that attracts a lot of mm. options romantically. And I would say Libra needs to tune into their Ori. Juno and Libra needs to tune into their Ori to discern what is really meant for them uh, because there will be a lot of options and it can actually feel overwhelming. So what is it that you actually want? What are your values around love? And you seek a partner who also asks those same questions, yeah. partner or partners who know their values around love. Juno and Scorpio, transformational selves. So partners who are not afraid to 
to regenerate and to rise from their ashes. And, and that means a relationship does too. So partner who can literally face the highs and the lows of the relationship, but it can be easier said than done. Juno and Scorpio placements may attract that and sometimes run away from it themselves. So it's like they have to be willing to embody the energy that their Juno asks them to. And it's one of like letting your dead skin go away and be reborn as a couple, but it begins with self-transformation. So it's a very powerful, Juno and Scorpio is one of the most intense, but for marriage, it often leads to very, 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 very loyal commitments. They seek loyalty in their commitments more than anything. Juno and Sagittarius is about viewing love and marriage, whether it's a financial romantic or friendship partnership as the ultimate adventure. And they seek partners who bring out their inventionists, bring out their love for travel, their love for learning new languages. They might even be attracted to people that they meet abroad or of different cultures. Juno in Capricorn is legacy. We often think of Capricorn as focused on uh, moving up the career ladder and their reputation, but really it's the legacy they want to leave in the world. So they are drawn to partners who know what they want or who are willing to figure it out with them and who don't take life as just a lighthearted thing to breeze through, but something to leave a a lifelong impact on. And so they're going to be very drawn to maybe even Capricorns, honestly. Um, It could be as simple as if you have a Juno and Capricorn, you may really hit it off with Capricorns or Saturn ruled beings, people whose chart ruler is Saturn, for example, that could be something. Um, But I would say tapping into the opposite Juno placement of Cancer is a lesson for Juno in Capricorn so that they know that they don't always have to take everything so, so seriously. That part of love is also softness and that can be just as adventurous and strengthening as always feeling like it's all together. And then Juno, Juno in Aquarius is revolutionary. So being able to revolutionize love, a partner who's not afraid to do things outside of what the societal views of love and relationships are. So maybe it could look like polyamory, but it could also look like not necessarily wanting to get married, even if it's the best relationship ever. It's just like partners who have an out of the box way of love and life. Are, are very powerful. And then finally, Juno in Pisces is about being able to feel like you can enter a dream world with your lover, that you, you don't have to always be in this practical side of yourself, but your lover brings out your inner artist, your inner child, and allows you to love without fear. Obsessed with that list. I knew my Virgo moon would come through. It's just like, I'm like, you have a gorgeous book. How do we synthesize this down to like 10 minutes of just something that someone can take, listen to? So bowing to you deeply. Thank you. If y'all like that, go buy the damn book. Like just go. It's so good. <laughs> I appreciate you. Obviously I could hang out with you all day, but to honor your time, we'll, we'll leave it there. And I just want to say, I know everyone's going to be like, chomping at the bit. How can they work with you more? Um, I want to hear about your book tour. Are you coming to New York is my question. I had come for the launch on December 6th and um, it was like in the whirlwind of everything. So I know not everyone got a chance to get a ticket and come. Like I know a lot of people message me afterwards. So I may come again in springtime, but the next cities up are 
going to have Chicago in May, as well as Los Angeles and Toronto uh, during the last 10 days of May. So I'll be dropping the tour dates on knowthezodiac.com soon. You can follow me at Dosivia, and uh, you'll also stay along. And next week, I'm actually going to Brazil, where a lot of the Orishas are celebrated in Salvador and Rio de Janeiro. And so it'll be carnival. So I'll be able to share signs and skymates there on tour there. And I, my newsletter, the KTZ newsletter is also a great way to stay in tune with me personally and with the cosmos. And I have incredible astrologers, Nisha and Gala, who contribute as well. They also write some of the horoscopes. It's a team of us working for the KTZ scope. So really grateful for them as part of my village. And we're really going to want to offer more in real life workshops this year because it's been so powerful to see people who have supported us digitally. So stay tuned on knowthezodiac.com or knowthezodiac's Instagram. And then I also have individual pages for each sign. So on Instagram, you can type no and then your sign and you'll find it. So no Aries all the way through no Pisces. And the only exception is Scorpio Mystique is my Scorpio page. Extra something, something. Well, thank you. You are truly a gem and a treasure. And you have to reach out to me personally if there's anything I can do to help you co-host, promote anything for you to come to New York, because I'm dying to meet you in person. Again, just thank you, everyone. Please go follow her. Go follow all of her accounts. Tag her in like your favorite wisdom from this episode. And um, just thank you. Really, this was really special. Yes, thank you. This was great. And one more thing I wanted to share since we talked about African spirituality for listeners of African descent who have been wanting to return to the motherland and learn more about the Orishas, Magic and Melanin is opening up its registration this week. Well, so by the time you listen, it'll be open and we're going to be going to Nigeria and to my home of Cote d'Ivoire. So if you hear this and you just feel like your Ori is tingling and saying, I need to be on that trip, there are limited spots available. They will go fast, but I know that the ones who get it are the ones who are really meant to be on this journey. So I hope to see you in West Africa this summer. Oh, yes. Powerful call. Answer it. If it's ringing you, answer that. That is gorgeous. <laughs> I love all the work you do on all the different planes and dimensions. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you to everyone for listening. Thank you. Do you love getting your Cosmic RX for the week here and want more? Make sure to sign up for our premium subscription so you can get exclusive access to bonus podcast episodes, all of my astrology info for the month ahead, and live new and full moon calls to help you manifest your dream life with an intentional international community of other Cosmic Baddies. Sign up through our link in show notes. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you want to know more about Cosmic RX, head on over to thecosmicrx.com. And if you really love this show, I'd love it if you left a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. I super love hearing from you and reading your reviews. All right, you Cosmic Baddie, tune in next week. And until then, remember, love yourself fully, work your magic, and take no shit.